Good morning. I'm excited to see you guys as well. Um, hey, hey, <laughs> if it's your first time here, my name is Ricardo Stewart, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, glad you guys can be here. Hey, we're going to start a new series, uh, and the series is titled Spiritual Rhythms. And so uh, before, we do, before we jump into the series, I want to kind of give you just a, what we're doing for the next at least six months when it comes to Redemption Tempe in terms of our teaching. We're going to do this Spiritual Rhythm series after this, um, um, beginning the week after uh, Super Bowl Sunday, which is February 8th, we're going to start the Gospel of Mark, and we'll be in the Gospel of Mark um, for the remainder of our time this year. So looking forward to that. But for this morning, we'll start our four-week series on spiritual rhythms. And if you have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and turn and then meet me in Matthew chapter 11. That's the Gospel of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, do me a favor, favor and slip your hand up and keep it raised high so one of the ushers could get you a copy of God's Word. And if you don't own a copy, please keep the one that we are handing out as a gift to you. And um, if you have one, but you forgot to bring it, go ahead and just leave that Bible on the chair and we'll pick it up um, afterwards. If you have the Bible that we're handing out, you're going to be on page 529. 529. We're going to look at verses, chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. So in this series, here's what we, we, we want to accomplish. And that is, we titled it Spiritual Rhythms because there's certain rhythms or habits or practices that we believe that you need in order to follow Jesus. Meaning these are things that we do, practices, to remind ourselves that we center our life around the person and work of Jesus. And so what we're going to do over the next four weeks, um, the last week, week four, which is Super Bowl Sunday, uh, we will have looking at witness. Like what does it mean for us to be able to witness to Jesus? What does evangelism look like in our day and time? Um, week three, we'll look at give. And what that means is looking primarily at what does it look like for us to usher and steward our gifts, talents, and resources to God and to others. And then next week, it will be listen. And listen implies what does it mean for us to read our Bible and to pray to God. Simple Christian practices. And then today, I want to be able to start off with rest. And the reason why I want to start off with rest is it's something that we don't do very well. Um, in fact, we get to Christmas, and it's all about God giving us his son and grace. We do nothing. We just receive this unmerited favor. It's grace. It's grace. And then as soon as the New Year starts, it's like, here's 18 things, and I'm going to get done this year, right? And the reality of them, if you're like me, they don't get done, right? 3% of us actually accomplish the goals that we set out, which by, I'm not saying that don't set goals. I'm just saying you probably won't reach them. But it's good to set them, right? <laughs> Um, I, I remember being in English my, my senior year in high school, and uh, my, my professor or teacher, he'd always say, uh, you know, do you have your homework? I'm like, oh, tomorrow, tomorrow. And he'd always say, Mr. Stewart, tomorrow never comes. <laughs> and I'm here to tell you, uh, we always say we're going to do our goals, we're going to accomplish it, but then we don't get it and we go next year. Next year never comes, right? We get into this rhythms of uh, lack of rest, and we're saying, how about we start the year off with the ideal of rest? and with the ancient practice of Sabbath, and what does it mean to have rest, and what does it mean to have these habits in our life? Um, habits in themselves are rhythms. They shape us to the point where they're good habits or they're bad habits, that we do them even subconsciously. You think about this. Here's a good habit that most of you, hopefully all of you have, and that is brushing your teeth, right? Um, you probably didn't think about it this morning, but you just probably went through the motion of waking up, and then you put toothpaste on the toothbrush, and then you brush your teeth. And, and it was really good for you, and not just you, but the people around you. It's something that's encouraged, right? But it happens. You begin to practice that. And then there's bad habits we have, right? One, the worst habit that I have is this stinking phone. I need to find a new alarm clock for, for my house, uh, for me, because I use my phone for my alarm clock, and here's inevitably what happens. 
that alarm goes off, I turn it off, and then I look at my phone, and then I check my email. <laughs> then when I, when I had a Facebook, I checked my Facebook. What's happening in people's lives? I checked the Twitter. I don't have Instagram, probably check that. Before I even, I'm not even awake, right? Before I'm even awake, really, I'm just kind of ushered into the rest of life and world and expectations and whatnot. Before I can even roll over and kiss my wife good morning, or go brush my teeth, then kiss my wife in the morning, right? None of that has even happened yet. And that's a, that's a, that's a bad habit for me. And I don't know what it's like for you, but we have these things. Um, there was a good book that I read last year, probably one of the best books I read on the ideal of habits, um, and it's called The Power of Habit but a, by a guy by the name of Charles DeHigg, and he talks about habits in this way. Habits are powerful but delicate. They can emerge outside of our conscience or can be deliberately designed. They often occur without permission but can be reshaped by, finding, uh, by fiddling with their parts. They shape our lives far more than we realize. They are so strong, in fact, they cause our brains to cling to them at the exclusion of all else, including common sense. Like, there are things that we just do that we do out of habit, and we go, we know this is bad for us, but I do it anyway. Well, what we're, what we're trying to say is, what, what about the things that we need to be doing to address um, and to reorient our lives around Jesus, and let's begin to practice those things. And so that's what we're going to begin looking at this morning, and primarily the habit of rest and the rest that we have in God. And so a few things I want us to point out here in, in uh, chapter 11 of Matthew in these few verses is, one, the promise of rest, this promise that Jesus gives us. Two is the problems of rest. What gets in the way of our rest? And then number three, the practices of this rest, how we put these things into practice. Practically, what does it look like? So the promise, the problems, and the practice. But before we jump in, would you guys go ahead and bow your heads with me? We'll pray. God, we thank you so much um, for you being our Father and sending your Son, Jesus, in whom we have life. Um, I pray that the name of Christ and the power and the work of Christ would be exalted today, that you'd remove me, remove my thoughts, um, our thoughts, that we may be able to see you and have our whole life shaped around you. We thank you for the blessed Holy Spirit in which we have to live the life that you've given us. Um, God, that you would illumine your, illumine your scripture and your text to us, that we may be able to join in worshiping with one another. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. There was an article written by a woman by the name of Elizabeth Colbert in The New Yorker, and the title of this article is called No Time. How did we get so busy? And in this article, she referenced another article that was written in 1928, where this man wrote an article um, basically talking about his grand-grand-grandchildren's generation and what it would be like in 2028. So we're not there yet, but we're close. And what he describes is our economy is going to be so good, we're going to create all of these things and all these gadgets and all these technology that the biggest problem we're going to have to deal with is what are we going to do with all the time we have? Because his point is, is that the work week is going to be, we're going to have three-hour work days. So 15-hour work weeks. And I know, I know you guys are like, yeah, that happened, right? No, it didn't happen, right? And you may say, well, it's not 2028 yet. Well, when it gets to 2028, we'll come back and go, okay, it didn't happen. We know that's not happening. It's not trending towards that way. And what she actually begins to describe is she um, talks about another book called Overwhelmed that was written by another lady that where she goes around um, asking people why they're so busy. And she goes to these cities and she goes to rural areas and she goes even in Fargo, North Dakota, right? Like the bubbling eclectic city of Fargo, North Dakota, people are busy, right? They're busy everywhere. And, and what she says is there's kind of this phenomenon that's happening where you're not just busy with the work that you do, you're even busy thinking about the work that you have to do, that you were going to do, that you should have done. And so she talks about a story of this, this lawyer who gets done working his work week, goes home, and is playing catch with his son. And the whole time he's playing catch with his son, all he can think about is work, and so he's constantly 
thinking and thinking and worrying and thinking, which becomes work. And she goes, there's, there's kind of this culture that's the, 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 the way you uh, want to one-up somebody in this new culture is you outschedule them. That you just tell people how busy you are. I'm busy too, I'm busy too. She goes, even moms, they're constantly busy. They're thinking about the next thing, but there's, there's, there's no rest. And we don't find rest. And then you take your own life, right? I don't know what 2014 was like you, for you. But chances are it was busy. And we say that, I'm busy. And I tried not to use the word busy, and I just replaced it, I'm occupied. Or like, it's the same thing, right? And, and, and partly because there's things that are happening. There's work life, there's family life, there's angst, there's things that come up. For me, towards the end of the year, um, was the most um, unrestful time that I had had in a while. And, and most people say, oh yeah, because it's Christmas time. But the reality of it is, in my family, we don't celebrate Christmas by going out and shopping and doing, th- we just, in our family, we don't usually do that. Like, um, we, didn't even, we didn't even do Christmas cards this year. We didn't even take the time to smile, right? I mean, so it wasn't like we were, we were even doing that. It was, it was far more just stuff that had happened in my family. And I know many of you guys are like, like me and my wife, where you have a family here, or you have a life here, but your family's somewhere else. So my wife's from Northern California, and I'm from Southern California. My family's in L.A. and in Mississippi. And, and when stuff happens, like tragedy and things and issues, you can't really do a whole lot about it. And we had some, some deaths in our family, um, in, my, in my side of the family, and, and I felt like, man, I should be there. I should be there longer. I should be with them. And you have these angst that you can't deal with. And then there was this whole issue that happened in Ferguson and the whole Black Lives Matter movement. And this is something I wrestled with deeply, and I wondered, man, am I ever going to think about this? And should I write about this? And people in the church were saying, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And, and I, didn't, I just didn't want to talk because I didn't know really how to process it out loud or who to process it with because on, on one side, I didn't want to seem like I was dismissive of it because I wasn't. On the other side, I didn't want to be angry about it, which could easily happen. And so I kind of just stayed back and wrestled with it and wrestled with it and to the point where all of these thoughts um, begin to enter into my dreams. You guys ever have that? Where everything you're thinking about and you're doing, you go to sleep, you know what, I'm just going to go to sleep. And then it shows up, it's like, knock, knock, knock. I'm here, right? And it's in your sleep, and then you wake up having thinking about that, and you're still exhausted, right? That, that, that's just who we are. And your situation may be different than mine. Um, you may be like me, where it's really hard to shed it off. Work's always in your mind. You're always thinking of something else, and you can always justify it. Especially if you're in ministry like me, oh, you know, you know, God wants me to help people. It's like, I think he wants to go to sleep, right? I think he just wants you to sleep. And so what do we do in the midst of all of this? What do we do with your turmoil and my, and this, my turmoil and the busyness of life that's not getting any slower? And the reality of it, just the demographic of our congregation, people, more people getting married and having kids, it doesn't stop. Like tomorrow literally never comes unless you do something about it. Well, in the midst of this, we have these beautiful words of Jesus. And, and, and the first point that I have here, we have this promise of Jesus, of this promise of rest. And here's what Jesus says in chapter 11 and verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, I will give you rest. I will. That word will, it literally means I desire. Like, I want to give you rest. And that's the promise that Jesus has to us. He says, all who labor and are heavy laden. Now, let me just give you the context of this. This story, or excuse me, this verse is unique to Matthew's gospel. Meaning, oftentimes in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will hear different stories told from different angles of each gospel, but this one's unique only to Matthew. And the reason why I believe that is because Matthew is is written to a Jewish audience particularly. And so he's talking to people who grew up as Jewish men and women, and Jesus says this. He goes, all you who labor and who are heavy laden. 
And what they were laboring with is that they were trying to follow the Torah, which is the, the, the law. Um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deut- Deuteronomy, all of those, the Old Testament, the prophets, the wisdom, they're trying to follow it. And not only follow that, is that they had these men called Pharisees. And Pharisees, by the way, we give them a bad rep. They were good people. These were guys who, when they read the Old Testament, they said there were a lot of godly people like us who wanted to follow God, but then they stopped following God. How about we take what God says, and then so we don't become like them, and we put more traditions on what he said not to do so that it never happens, where these traditions became equal to what God said. And so to the average Jewish man or Jewish woman, that they not only had God's word, but now they had man's word, and then the pressure on them began to weigh them down that they did not feel like they were walking in step with who God was. And then here comes God in the flesh. Jesus saying, okay, all of you guys, all you who labor and are heavy laden, come to me, and here's my promise. I'll give you rest. You don't work for this rest. You, you, you don't find it anywhere else outside of Jesus. And when Jesus says this, this rest is not just um, some ethereal rest. It's in the life, the death, the miracles, the teaching, um, and the person and work of Jesus, his resurrection, his invitation to be um, in the family with him and his father and fellowship with the spirit and the father. Um, That that this this Jesus, he said, come to me and put all of those things down, all of those other things, and you will promise, you will find rest in me. Well, tangibly, here's how this could look. I, as a person, have always been, I want to, if something's going on, I want to be there. If there's something happening, I want to be there. I, I don't want to be the person who goes, oh, you missed it. I didn't miss it. I was there, right? And so before I became a Christian, there was no time at all if there was a party, if there was a hangout, if there was something, I was going to be there. I was never going to be alone, right? Like I was a kid in high school that if I called my boy, like, what are you doing? He goes, I'm doing nothing. He goes, what are you doing? I'm doing nothing. I'd rather do nothing at his house than be at my house doing nothing, because nothing over there was way better than nothing at my own house, right? And so when I first became a Christian, not only did I receive that burden of guilt of sin being removed, I actually had this freedom of my identity being completely wrapped around Christ that I didn't need to be out. Like, I didn't need those things. And so for the first time in my life, when, when someone said, hey, something's going on tonight, I was actually free to go, I ain't going. I'm going to do something amazing. I'm going to go to bed, right? And I tell people all the time, one of the best things about becoming a Christian, I actually learned how to sleep. But you know what happens after that? Is we start off with this invitation and this promise of Jesus of finding rest, and it's all relational. It's wrapped up in Jesus as a person, who he is. And then what happens is we begin good at Christianity. We get good at religion, and we lose relationship. One of the more scary, dangerous things about Christianity is it can be learned. I mean, you could practice it, you can know it, you can know what to do, and you could leave this relationship of Jesus, this rest that we find in Jesus, and be doing all the good Christian things you should be doing, right? And you could be on this spiritual treadmill that you're just running and running and running and running, exhausted, not going anywhere, because you've gotten good at it. You can do it. You have advice. You think you could do your Christian life apart from Christ. I, I liken it to this. I think we do better in, in airplanes than we do cars, And what I mean by that is, when I get on an airplane, and let's say we're going to Denver, there's no part of me that is in the airplane as I'm sitting in the plane is thinking, you know what, I need to go tell this this pilot, he's going the wrong way. And I'm I'm going to go in there and say, hey, excuse me, yeah, sorry, I'm my spare time, I'm a co-pilot, but that's right. But hey, I know we're going to Denver, but this is the wrong way. Can we reroute the plane to go this way? I'm just saying, I'm just saying, if you want to, I'll be back here, right? (laughs) Never. 
I get on the plane, I put on my seatbelt, and I usually fall asleep, and then I wake up and I'm there, and I trust that he's going to get me there. However, when I'm in a car, <laughs> I'm the worst passenger seat driver, back seat driver, car behind you driver. Um, <laughs> I'm horrible. My wife hates when she's driving because I make her nervous. Oh, you're going to take that way? Okay. So you thought that way was faster? No, 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 no. That's cool. <laughs> it's horrible. I do it to everybody. Um, you know why? I know how to drive. <laughs> And I think I could drive better than all of you guys. <laughs> I think we get that way with Christianity because we kind of know what to do, that we begin to forget the who, the one who we, we first met, the one who invited us into this rest, the, to be able to rest in the salvation in which God has given us, to have in our identity and our desires and our passions and our affections so wrapped up into who Jesus is that we just kind of move on to religion, and I use it in a pejorative sense, that we forget to rest always in this relationship. You know, when Jesus says, come to me, I, I, will, I will give you rest, that's an invitation. That's an invitation. Now, some of you grew up in churches where you grew up with what is called an altar call. How many of you guys grew up with altar calls? You, you've seen altar call, you've been a part of it? Um, usually, uh, our older evangelicals here, they're like, yeah, when are you guys going to do it? Get back. I remember, I remember in this year this happened, and by all means, like, altar calls are real, and God saves people through it. Um, I remember being in one, however, where um, the pastor got up there and he called, you know, if you've never believed in Jesus, you can trust in Jesus, come up right now, come to this, come to this altar, come now, right? And you've, you've been in that experience, did I, did I see a hand? Is there another? Right? And you just kind of do that for a while. There's a man in here who wants to lead his family, I can see it. And then, and then um, people would come forth, and this, this kid came up, and he received Jesus, and then he was walking back, and then the pastor goes, okay, if you in here and you've, you've backslid. If you've been in a church where you've heard that language, you've backslid, you've walked away, but you want to rededicate your life to the Lord. This kid was on his way back and was like, oh. And he came back. <laughs> and I was like, what did you do on the, like in the last 15 seconds? <laughs> However, <laughs> what is really good about that whole rededicating your life to Jesus in that language is, is uh, I think that's what we should do every day. <laughs> That when we wake up every day, there's got to be a moment in our life where we just recalibrate our hearts and say, Lord, today, I'm with you again. And that's that covenant renewal with him. Um, that, that every day, I, I metaphorically, I walk down the aisle and I say, Lord, I want to accept this invitation. I have rest in you. Because you know why? We drift. And just life and situations and sin and things, they just kind of, we drift from that to remind ourselves, oh yeah, it was never about this religion. It was always about relationship. And this is the promise that God gives me in the midst of all the turmoil and the, risk, the, the midst of all the chaos that he actually promises rest for us that we may have rest. Um, because here's, 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 here's what inevitably happens if, if you're like me. You start off in this rest, and you drift, and there's so many other things that begin to impede your rest. And which gets me to the second point, which is the problems of rest. Here, here's what Jesus says here. Jesus says this in verse 29. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Um, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Now, here's what Jesus is talking about. Again, he's talking to a primarily Jewish audience, and yoke meant something for them. A very agrarian culture, and so they did a lot of farming, and, and with that, they had a yoke, and a yoke would be placed upon um, usually two, two oxen, and then one oxen would be significantly stronger, older, than the younger, and they placed the yoke on there for this purpose, is that the older and the stronger would be able to carry the burden of the weight and be able to have the younger, weaker, um, next to him or her and follow alongside as they did the work as the younger became stronger and stronger and stronger. 
And so they knew that. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. The other part is that the yoke was also uh, used in the vernacular. It symbolized something. And what it symbolized was teaching. And Jesus is saying, take my teaching upon you. You know why? It's because they had been having another teaching, as I, as I mentioned earlier. And that teaching was all that the Torah taught, God's word, upon the human tradition of a particular culture and a particular people. And that they were being weighed down. So the opposite was happening. The older and the wiser and the seemingly stronger were saying, there's more you need to do as younger people. There's more, there's more, there's more. That it was significantly heavy, and they could not carry those burdens. And then Jesus comes in and not only promises rest, he says, hey, how about you take upon my yoke upon you? Because the yoke that you have upon yourself, it's burdening you, and my yoke is not going to do that for you. Now, when it comes to our yokes of our day, we, we have to begin to go, what are the yokes in which we have? What are the things that burden us? What are the things that weigh us down? <sighs> Oftentimes, these are things that are not written down. They're not stated. They're things within culture that we just perceive, we feel, we know it. Their cultural expectations is one of them. The expectation that a particular culture will have upon you. Usually these expectations are gender specific. Men are supposed to be doing this. Women are supposed to be doing that. And they're not doing that. You don't add up. Um, even to the point where one article was talking about how men and women lie differently about their, their, uh, their intimate relationships. You guys get what I'm saying, right? Kids in the room. And so their intimate relationships is that men would lie to meet cultural expectations. They would say that they, were, they had more relationships and women than they really did. And then women would say not as many as they really did to meet some sort of expectation. So both of them were lying. Um, there were expectations of when they should be married and when they should not be married. Expectation of how much money they should make. And we have them, right? You can all say, I'm whatever your age is, I'm supposed to be here right now. If you're younger, you're saying, I'm, I'm supposed to have this accomplished already. If you're older, chances are you have regrets. You have regrets. Never meet an old person that doesn't have regrets. An older, in our context, 33 and a half, right? <laughs> and, and those regrets are, I, I, I have a good life. This is good. I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that. I wish I would have done that. Those are things that are not written somewhere, but we have those cultural expectations. We have family expectations. There are certain things that our family wants for us that we, we feel that we have to, we got to get there. We got to make those things happen. You know what it's like to go home, hey, when's that grandbaby coming? It's like, I don't even have a husband, right? <laughs> I'm going to bring somebody else's grandbaby next time. Here you go. There, there, there's expectations that we have from family. There's expectations that we have from even religious institutions, churches, and so forth, right? They're, everybody thinks they should be spiritually further ahead than, than where they're supposed to be. It's like, ah, I should be here now. I should know this now. And we put these expectations upon ourselves. And, and Christian churches often, especially in ones that has a demographic like ours, it, it becomes like um, what you're supposed to be doing, when you're supposed to, uh, what age are you supposed to have marriage? And then you put those, um, those expectations personally on yourself. Who told you all of this stuff, right? People say, oh, man, I'm, I'm 39 and, and I'm not married at Dang it. I'm supposed to be married by now. Where did it say that? Was there, did, did I miss that? People always say, well, when do you know you're supposed to be married? How do you know? I said, I know I'm supposed to be married because I've been married for seven and a half years. <laughs> I know I'm supposed to have kids because I have two. I don't know about you. Who told you these things? I'm supposed to weigh this much. I'm supposed to do this. And it's like, how, why are you supposed to weigh that much? Who said that? Like, I looked at my age and height and everything, and I put, you know, what am I supposed to weigh at my age and height? I'm 49 pounds overweight, <laughs> according to this thing. And I'm like, 49? I haven't been that little since I was 11. <laughs> Who are, who's telling us these things, right? 
and, 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 they, and they weigh on us. And, and, and probably the most important that, that gets in the way of our rest and the problem of our rest is uh, sin and unbelief. That when we begin to, um, we fail to trust and take God at his word. Come to me, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. That's a promise. When we don't believe that, and we begin to think that we can drive the car, we can fly the plane, we can find other things that will find rest, we will find our satisfaction in other things because we don't think that God will do that. And, and, and in Hebrews, in chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, what, what the writer of Hebrews begins to talk about here is the people of God who have left um, Egypt and how they didn't enter into the rest of God, the rest in which God was offering. And here's what he says why. He says, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today. Saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Here's what he's talking about. There, there's all these people. They had all the law. They had the beautiful invitation. They had the promise. But they didn't enter it because of disobedience. They hardened their hearts. And he says, but you know what? That wasn't the ultimate rest. He says, for if Joshua would have been able to give him rest, and, and if you don't understand who Joshua was, Joshua was a man chosen by God to lead his, lead his people into the promised land. And he goes, Joshua led him to the promised land, but rest wasn't just being in the promised land, but rest came in being and knowing God spiritually, following God, walking with God, knowing him. And he says, but there's another day called today, he says, and that day is in Christ Jesus, and that rest is in the Lord. That rest is in who he is. And he goes, come to that day. Many of us don't enter in God's rest is because we have an identity crisis. We think we need to be who we're not. We're supposed to be where we're not. And so we're always traveling, and we're never arriving, and we're never resting in the finished work of Jesus. That's not to say that you don't have standards in your life. That's not to say, oh, I'm free in Jesus, so I don't have standards. I mean, yeah, some people go, well, yeah, that's right, because my work wants me to be there at 8 a.m. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to live up to their expectations of me. That's fine. You don't have to. You just won't have a job, Right? If they say you have to be there, you have to be there. We're talking about things that you put upon yourself that we don't begin to, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of work, in the midst of expectations and, and failed promises, and when you hurt people and people hurt you, how do you begin to find the rest of God? Well, let's continue to see what Jesus says here. Jesus says this um, in verse 28 again. He says, come to me all who labor, excuse me, sorry, 29, take my yoke upon you. And then he says, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. When he says learn from me, that word learn, um, if you understand the epitomology, you know, the study of that word, I can never pronounce it, the origin of that word, should have just said that. When you understand the origin of that word, learn, you understand that it means disciple. It's the same thing. And what Jesus is saying is, come to me and let me disciple you. <laughs> let, how about you follow me? And instead of taking the yoke upon, off yourself, because some of you just heard, okay, so I'm supposed to take that yoke off myself. No. That was the whole point of why Matthew is writing this, why Jesus said this, is that you couldn't take the yoke upon yourself. Jesus, the more mature, the stronger ox, comes in and says, let me take the yoke off of you that you have in this world, and let me place my yoke on you. And then rightfully so, the one who's stronger, the one who's wiser, the one who loves you most, the one who understands you most, the one who you were created for begins to give you rest as you learn from him or come alongside and you follow Jesus. 
that in whatever you do, in your vocations, whatever you do in your life, that you begin to follow Jesus in everything that you do, and his grace, his unmerited favor, is the one and the teaching which you have in which Jesus says, come alongside me, and then I will be able to give you that particular yoke that you can walk with. It's not something you do in yourself. It's something that you do as you walk alongside Jesus, and that's the picture that he begins to give instead of dealing with the yoke of this world. And you may say, okay, what, what does that look like for me? All right. I understand there's a promise. I can see my problems, but, but how do I practically flesh this out? How do I make this a habit, okay? And when I say a habit or a rhythm, what we're talking about here is not a one-time thing. These are things you have to do over and over again until they become habits. Um, one of my, my former coaches just got a job um, working at a really, in the NFL, and then I texted him, and I said, uh, hey, congratulations on your job. And he goes, wow, you're up really early. And I quoted him because he taught me this. I said, that's interesting because I remember 14 years ago, somebody told me, um, whatever you uh, don't want to do, but you know you have to do, make those things habits. I hated getting up to go lift weights. <laughs> and so I made it a habit of giving up early. And I said that to him and he goes, wow, you listen? And I said, yeah, 14 years later, I listened, right? <laughs> But you be, it's something that had to happen over, it took me five years to get used to that. And so when I say, what are, the, what are these practices? Realize this is not a one-time thing. It's like when people get gym memberships, and if you're like me, this is what I do every year. I'm like, I'm going to work out. I will go on an eight-mile run and be tired and sore for three weeks and won't work out again until next January. <laughs> when I'm, <laughs> it's just the reality of it. And so we try to knock it out, or you work out, and you look at yourself in the mirror, like, is it happening yet? No, nothing's happening. You're sweating. There you go. You're sweating, right? But there's no change at it. It's over time. And so what are these things that we ought to be doing, and we could be doing? And it's not the activities themselves, but the activities that begin to center us around Christ. Well, first, this will be helpful. Understand the principles of Sabbath. Sabbath is something that God instituted to his people, because God himself rested. In the very beginning of the pages of Scripture, we see that God created this world, and on the seventh day, he rested. And he rested not because he was tired. He rested to enjoy the fruits of his labor. So at the very heart of Sabbath or rest is not just to get some rest so that you can work more and be more productive. That's not the goal. The goal is to rest in order that you may enjoy God again that you may enjoy the fruits of your labor, all that God has allowed to happen, that you may be able, in the midst of chaos, as a people of God, have a counterculture in the way that we live. That we work just as hard as the next, but there's a rest that we have that is spiritually in Christ Jesus. And so we practice these things in the midst of our life to have this particular rest. And so a few things that I can give you just for practical help. The first is shut off. Shut off. What I mean by it, shut everything you have off for a season, for a period. We are always connected people. I, I don't even think it's helpful for us to have, um, I think it's helpful to have a Bible app on your phone, but it'd be good in service just to go, you know what, I forgot my Bible, I'm going to raise my hand and have an actual Bible so I don't have everything on here. Just for a season, right? Or forever. Um, just for a season maybe, right? Um, it, it would be good for us to, if you've ever heard of a d distraction-free phone, and it's essentially what that is, is you take your phone and your smartphone and you, you, make, it, you, make, it, you make it dumb, right? And so you take the internet off of it. You take email off of it. You take Instagram off. You take Twitter. Some of you guys are getting really nervous right now, right? Um, you take those things off for a season and just have a phone. It's going to be okay. You know, in Leviticus, what, what God um, called his people to do, remember, an agrarian culture, take a whole year off of farming. Let the land rest. And whatever crops come up, just let them come up. We should be able to do that, be able to shut our minds off. Again, I'm just as guilty as any of you guys. I never shut off work. 
I have a reminder on my phone that it pops up and it says, go home and shed it off. Because what happens is I walk into the door and everything that's happened in my life begins to enter into what I eat, <laughs> conversations with my wife, with my kids, and everything is constantly happening. Guys, that's not good for us. The Bible says there's only one who never sleeps nor slumbers, and his name is God. Now, if that's your name, I'll, sure, right? <laughs> so we begin to shed it off. Whatever those things are, whatever, and you got to know them for your own life. What are those things? I need to take a break from these things. Not legalistically, because some of you are going, I don't have a Facebook. I don't have this. And so, no, 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 no. You don't get a pass. You find whatever that is for you to be able to, to pull back on it. Number two here is do something else. That means find something that... Um, is avocational. So something you don't do for a living that you like to do. Um, some of those things are contemplative, like you begin to sit, worship, listen to God. Um, showing up on a Sunday service is what Christians have done um, since the church began. It's fellowshipping together and hearing about God and singing songs that's really good for your soul to remind you of who you are in Christ and what he's done. Um, sometimes it's, it's aesthetic stuff, like you begin to look at beauty and be able to look at things and enjoy them from what they are. Um, it's relationships, it's relationship building, being with people. Sometimes it's just doing things that you like to do that's actual work, but it's not something, it's something that brings you rest. And so talking to Jim about this, and you guys know Jim, Jim just did the All of Life interview. Jim says his work or his rest looks like most people's work in, in human history. Um, what that means is Jim likes to garden and farm and do all that stuff, so he likes finding rest in that. In fact, we're supposed to hang out there tonight, and he goes, I can't. I'm literally trying to find chicks. And I said, that's a problem, bro. Accountability issues. What do you mean? And he, and he said, chickens. All right. I'm like, all right. I'm like, of course Jim's getting chickens, because not too much longer ago, Jim posted on Facebook that he wanted a goat. And I'm like, what is, you know what? Doesn't surprise me. Look. Do his thing, right? If anybody's going to need a goat, Jim's going to need a goat for some reason. I'm sure it's good. It can be a great sermon illustration at some point, right? But that's his thing. I mean, he likes to garden, and, and you find those things. Um, for me, I like to coach. I like to be with kids doing things. If I can do that, I find a lot of rest in that. Sometimes you can sit down and watch TV. That's okay. Um, but realize, just because you're watching TV doesn't mean you're resting, right? There's a lot of people who can watch 12 hours of Netflix and be just as tired, all right? We've all had that experience where I went on vacation, now I need a vacation for my vacation, right? And so it's finding those things you can rest. Number three here, this is important right here. Um, know your personality. Are you an introvert? Are you extroverted? That matters when you're looking for rest. Because if you're an introverted person and you expend yourself by being with people, relationship building is not something you should do to find rest. If you're an extrovert, on the other hand, relationship building would be really good for you. Being with people is something you probably draw energy from. And I basically just described me and my wife, right? And let me just give you a, a scenario. So if we have an RC, RC usually meets on Tuesday. If the RC is coming over, I could be tired and groggy and like, oh, I don't want people to come over. As soon as people come over, I'm like a puppy. My tail starts wagging and everything. I'd show you, but not right now. And I get all excited because there's, there's people around. And, I, and like when people leave, I'm just, I can't go to sleep because I'm just fired up. My wife, on the other hand, people come, she expends herself with people, and then when people leave, she's out, right? And so I wouldn't say, hey, Holly, for rest, come on, let's invite 50 people over our house and have a kickback, it'd be great, right? She'd just pass out, right? And so <laughs> you got to find out what those things for you um, are for you. Mothers, uh, especially mothers with young children that you are around your children a lot, you got to find breaks. So husbands, help them. Take the kids. Just take the kids and, and just say, get out of the house. Do whatever you want to do. And, they, and they, before you can even say, do whatever you want to do, you just hear the garage shut and they're, they're gone. <laughs> Let them have their break, whatever that is. It's finding rest in that. Um, know yourself. And then just so it's not selfish, 
help others find rest. <laughs> so get with people in your life, get with your spouse, get with your friends, get with people and go, hey, how do you find rest in here? And then how can I come alongside you to financially or emotionally or whatever, help that? Um, can, can, you, can you be that person for somebody else so they may have rest? And, and, and hear me on this. The goal is not to sleep. Um, the, the, the goal is not to entertain yourself or even just to do something. The goal is to enjoy God. Enjoy what he has done. Enjoy the beautiful things around you without constantly going and going and going. Because you know what we're like? We're like people who run on the treadmill, who run and run and run and sweat and sweat and sweat. And if you ever, if some of you guys are runners, you know what it's like when you run. I went four miles. You didn't go anywhere, right? You're still on that same treadmill, sweating. The better illustration would be for us is to be able to rest in God as you've been at the airport. You just stand on those things. You know, they move you, you just, right? It's like, this is great. <laughs> and I'm here. <laughs> there we go. I'm always on those things. <laughs> that we just rest in who he is. That's the goal that we begin to look for, to center ourselves around Jesus. And, and remember, remember Jesus' words here. Um, in verse 30, as he closes this up, he says, For my yoke, his teaching, his grace, his love, his life, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, here's the promise of, of this rest that I will, I will give you. Um, the problems, you, you know they're yourselves. And, and then you got to practice these things. And, and he says, but I will, my yoke will be easy. And easy is not that it's going to be simple. He's saying it's not meant for you to be exhausted. Simple means good. It means kind, that you have a good God. And so it'd be helpful for us to get with the people in our lives, our redemption community, our spouses, our friends, and go, hey, can we, let's put this together. Not in some religious way. The goal is not the activity. The goal is to center ourselves around Jesus who says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light and he promises to give us rest, amen? What I, what I love about this and this word rest and practicing this in our life is rest, rest in itself um, here literally means to lean on something, right? And I know you guys know the song and I'm not gonna sing it. <laughs> but sometimes in our life, We all have pain. <laughs> and we all have. But if we are wise, right? Right, we know there's always tomorrow. And then, and then it says what? Lean on me. You said it, not me. <laughs> and Jesus is asking us all not to sing. <laughs> not that song. We're not all that good. But to lean upon him as the one who gives us rest and promises rest for all eternity. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for the extended measure of your grace to each and every individual in this room. Your grace that is common to all in the breath that we breathe, the life that we have, the friendships we develop, the beauty we can see or feel or hear or make, and then your saving grace through the blood of Jesus has been shed for us 2,000 years ago that we may enter into a rest by faith and obedience in you, Lord, and walk next to you, being attached to you through your yoke, your grace that's been given to us, God, that we may grow up to maturity and wisdom and life and love and fellowship with the Spirit of God and the Father of God all through your work, Jesus. God, we ask that you would guide us, that your hand would be upon us, that your mercy would lead us, 
and that you would continue to have your way in our life, God. We pray that you'd bring people alongside of us, that we continue to develop these practices, Lord, not for the sake of the practices or the habits or the rhythms, but, Lord, because of the relationship, because of the invitation with you. So allow us by your Spirit to recalibrate our hearts, that we may walk with you, not ahead of you, Lord. We'd follow you as disciples. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.